do 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 do. Here we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. You gotta get closer to the mic. I'm sorry, I'm here. Hello. There you go. Um, welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number. I'm not quite sure what number because we don't know when this is going up. But um, why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because it's a podcast that will help you feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember what. Go. I was going to say, I do. Oh, you Wait, do. I want to say this before you keep going. So when we started this podcast, you guys, we used to share a microphone. And I don't know if you guys can tell if you listen to like our first year. But today we're sharing a microphone again. Because we're kicking we have, it back. Because we have three guests on our podcast, yes. which has never happened. So you guys are breaking history. Breaking history. Whatever. Breaking <laughs> records. Making history. Yes. Yeah, you're not breaking history. That'd be silly. <laughs> Um, always remember a motto, which is the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have a recurring guest. Um, this is her second time on the podcast, and her name is Susan McConnell. Um, Susan joined us, uh, I don't know, a month or two ago. Go. No, you don't have to stop. I'll get okay, in there. Because you kind of did one of these. Um, her husband is Doug McConnell, who did those long swims, and uh, but Susan did all the hard work. Some of the hard work. Some of the hard work. And then we have two new people that I just met, even though I probably, we walked the same halls for eight years, so we probably chatted, we just forgot about it. Um, her name is Carolyn Osterhughes, formerly known as Carolyn Ryan, and her son, Kyle Osterhughes, who's here. So say hello, Kyle. Hi. Carolyn, say hi. Hello. Okay, so you're officially now on the podcast. So the reason we wanted to have uh, Susan on is because she started a foundation. Is it a foundation? Nonprofit. It's a nonprofit called Let It Be Us. Just Let It Be Us, right? Let It Be Us. Dot org. That's the website. Tell me um, what Let It Be Us is. Let It Be Us is a nonprofit with the mission of adoption and education of children in Illinois foster care. And why'd you start it, Susan? What was the catalyst? I'm an adoptive mother, and I'm also a photographer. And uh, as soon as I opened my photography studio 12 years ago, one of my first clients was the state of Illinois. And they asked if I would photograph children available for adoption. So for a decade, I photographed these children, and I saw that they were adoptable, but they just didn't get adopted. And so I started Let It Be Us to be the machine behind the children to help make that happen. And, and what does that mean? Like they were adoptable, but they weren't adopted. You mean people didn't have information, access? What was it? Everything, all of the above. Um, when did you start it? Two years ago, two years ago this month. Oh my month. gosh, I figured, I thought you'd say like 10 years ago, because the website is really impressive, and Thank it you. seems like you got all your ducks in a row as if you've been doing this a long time. Let It Be Us is, has a second, their second birthday this month. Awesome. That's a lot in a little bit of time. Mm-hmm, it is. So, um, go I, have ahead. One, I have one more question. So, it's been around for two years. So, tell us what it like. Give us some. You don't have to give us numbers or stats, but what's happened? Like, what has changed? What have you done with Let It Be Us? We've we've opened the door and we've built the bridge between the parents who are interested in adopting and the children who are available for adoption. If you imagine a scale, like on a lawyer's website, you know, and you have the children on one side and the parents who are interested in adopting them on the other side, the scale with the parents is actually heavier. Hmm. But there's no bridge that there's not a well-built bridge between the two. 
I love that because right behind you, we wrote this last week. We are bridge builders. So we have more bridge builders here on the show. And really, that's the thing is it's connection because it's not – we were just talking about how many great people there are in the world, how many good people there are in the world. And it's having access to that. It's having access to the information and the people and the children. And we need more bridge builders like you. So it seems like it was a PR marketing snafu for foster children. Is that – am I oversimplifying? Uh, that's, like, it's just getting the word out. That's basically what we do. How is it possible that there's no good vehicle to get the word out for something as important as this is? Well, when you look at funding for nonprofits and for state projects, they don't have a lot of funding to put into marketing. And that is often one of the first things that goes. All right. That makes sense. So let's bring in our other two guests. So, uh, Susan, I'm going to let you introduce Carolyn. And then, Carolyn, I want you to introduce Kyle. So you start, Susan. Carolyn Osterhughes is a friend of mine, and she is an adoptive mother. And when we hold events where we recruit parents to adopt from foster care, Carolyn often speaks at those events. Okay. And why is Carolyn on this podcast with us today? Because she's an expert in at being a mother and an expert at adoption. Okay. And uh, when did you guys enter each other's lives? Well, we've known each other for a long time, but we officially got to work together a couple of years ago. Okay. And Carolyn, who's this guy? So to um, my left is my son, Kyle Osterhughes. He's 18. He um, is one of my absolute heroes. Mm -hmm. And um, we were graced with him when he was five years old. He came into our family. We had his half-sibling um, we got a call from DCFS asking if we would be interested in taking Kyle because he was coming back into foster care after a failed adoption. And we had wanted him from the get-go, so we jumped at the chance. So when you said you had his half-sibling, um, was that older or younger than Kyle? Younger, 18 months younger. Okay, and is it a, a boy or a girl? A boy. Okay. And how did he... So when do you have any natural children or is it all adopted? Biological. I'm sorry. Biological. Biological. All children are natural. Exactly. That's right. Sorry. That's what we do on these shows. This is how we get the correct language I because we've had so many shows where we are using language where then our guests can say, actually, that's not the appropriate word. So always feel free to correct us because we want to make sure we're getting the correct information. For example, when we had that Nancy lady who was in charge of LGBTQ or whatever, yeah. I kept referring to her as homosexual. Correct. And she's like, why do you keep using that word? And I'm like, what word am I supposed to use? I thought that that's the word. Or we uh, were talking with the executive director of NAMI, which is the National Association, Association or no, National Alliance Sure. See, and again, I'm getting the words of, of mental illness. And she um, was explaining to us that they use the word mental, the words mental wellness instead of mental illness. And that's just such a shift, isn't it? Right. You know, and then it makes mm -hmm. you look at everything differently as far as this is something that people recover from. This is something we can do something about. So, again, language is important. Words are important. And so, by the way, being the idiot that I am, uh, the word I was supposed to be using was gay. And obviously I know that, but I just... I didn't, it wasn't in my awareness. Sure. I didn't know. So anyways, so biological children. Mm -hmm. do you we, have we have no biological children. Okay. And how many children do you have? We have four. Okay. And who, who came first? Colby, our second oldest came first. Okay. 
Colby showed up. And then two and a half years later, we got a phone call from DCFS that um, Colby's half-brother was coming back into foster care. And by law, would we consider taking him? Um, I'm sorry, by law, they asked if, um, scratch that. They said, we have to call you. It's the law because you have a sibling. Mm. But we recommend that you don't take him. He should be in a home where there are no other kids. Um, he has um, homicidal tendencies. He needs to be medicated. And I said, you're speaking about a five-year-old. And if he's going through a failed adoption, how much of this is just him reacting to the situation and, and the atmosphere he's being exposed to and I just disbelieved what they told me and then they said well you can talk to his preschool teacher so I talked to the preschool teacher and she pretty much said the same thing that he's extremely violent that um he can't ride the bus <laughs> you can't ride the bus no okay um and I just I just didn't believe that a five-year-old could be given a, a label a label thank you so I didn't listen to any of them, and I took him, and he's amazing. He's never been on any medication. Um, he is a hero to me. Mm. Kyle, do you remember that time when uh, you were five? Yes, I do. I remember it pretty clearly. Tell, tell us what was going on. Well, um, the family that I lived with, they were uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, so they didn't really believe in celebrating anything. And I remember my fifth birthday, uh, I, you know, it was like any other day. And, you know, they just told me, oh, it's your birthday today. And um, I remember my first time meeting my half-brother, Colby, uh, when I was five. And uh, my dad now, and Carolyn and Mark, uh, they came with him. And he was this kid who was just filled with so much emotion. He was bouncing off the walls. He was so excited. And my name was Kylor actually and I got that changed to Kyle later but he was like oh I'm so excited to meet my new brother Kylor and stuff like that and I was pretty confused I had no idea what was going on wait did you know did you say you just met him when you were five yes so you never knew him before that I mean I probably met him before but I was probably really young okay so I, I didn't remember it okay and you know he was so excited to play and stuff and so we hung out for about a day, you know, and then uh, I was I was told that I was going to go uh, sleep over at his house. And I thought, mm, that's a little strange. Like, I've just met this kid and I'm going to sleep over at his house. And then uh, I remember um, I had gone back and they had kept coming back and I had been hanging out with this kid a little while longer. And then I went there was told I was gonna you know sleep there for a while and stay over there for a while and then I had asked uh Carolyn when I was going back and she said oh you're you're not going back like you live here now and I was confused and I said uh, is this my last stop because I had been in and out of a couple homes and I uh, I hadn't realized that uh this was where I was gonna stay so I feel like um, backing up a little bit. So you were born, and did your biological parents give you up for uh, what happened? Um, so 
there was a sub group, um, Colby and Kyle being the two youngest, and um, the state came in, got involved because of Kyle. He had a hernia, and um, biological mom hadn't gotten it corrected. So a nurse at the pediatrician's office called the state. So the state got the family involved in a program that was called Families First, and they tried to surround the family with services. Um, it was working out for a while, and then um, it, it failed. And so the kids were taken into foster care and placed with uh, Colby, our second son, his biological grandma. Grandma was in our foster care training course, and she let us know that she had this same group, and she was not able to take care of them. When she was an older woman, and... Um, she lived in the basement of her house to be able to afford these four kids that were placed with her. Mm -hmm. So we all in the class started petitioning the caseworker and the agency to, to take the SIB group. The agency decided to split them up, and that's how we ended up with Colby, and Kyle went with a different family. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to get back to the emotional experience you had when you were five, because Todd and I, um, obviously, we feel like we're advocates for children. You know, when we're talking to parents, we want to support parents as much as we can. But really, what we say to them is understand the energy that you're bringing to the children. And so you understand that this is a relationship and that we are all bringing something that there's a cause and effect kind of situation going on. And so when, you know, there was adults telling your mom, you know, your mom now, that you know, you were homicidal and that you were violent and these things that are really scary to hear. But what, do you remember what you were feeling? Like, where does that come from? Where did that come from? Um, it, the feeling, the emotion just came from my experiences mostly and what I, uh, what I lived through with that family that was trying to adopt me. Uh, they neglected me and abused me. And um, I think the reason I was given that label with uh, homicidal tendencies is because no one really knew what was going on because I think they did a good job at covering up what was really going on. And they thought, you know, this is just a kid who's, you know, in the system and, you know, he's just acting out. And it's probably because of his mom and she had really high drug use and she was acting out and being all crazy when she was younger. And they gave me that label based on reports of what my mom had done, and that's just not fair. And the things that were happening to me with that, with the family I was with previously, um, I think that just added onto it and made my behavior even worse because, you know, what they put me through, like, they would lock me in the basement with the lights off. They would lock me in their car while they took the rest of the family into the restaurant to go eat dinner and I remember at one point uh, the uh, my quote unquote dad was giving me a bath and you know I was about four or five and he got upset with me and he took a gun and he put it to my head mm. and he said that uh, he would shoot me and you know, I was little. I didn't really understand. I didn't really know what a gun was. Like, I didn't really know what he meant. But looking back at that, I mean, I know why my behavior was so bad. And 
Um, I just think the, the label they put on me wasn't fair. And with the help of my parents now, I was able to move past what they had labeled me as. And I'm a different person. Mm. <sighs> <laughs> um, well, first, let me honor your strength and vulnerability just sharing these stories. I can't imagine what that's like. And it's probably maybe therapeutic or maybe you're saying it because there's other parents out there that are listening that might derive some benefit out of your story. So I honor what you're saying. And Carolyn, I honor everything, all the strength that you're showing us as well. So Carolyn, when Kyle showed up, what type of person did you find? Well, I just knew um, that he was a hurt little guy. I just, uh, when we went to go finally make the transition and it, I'm learning something new from him talking right now. Um, we had the understanding that he was working with a counselor to to inform him that he was going to be placed with us and that he would stay with us. Um, so when we went to go pick him up that first day that it was going to be a permanent situation, he was actually hiding under a chair in the waiting room of the counselor's office. And I had to take Skittles and kind of place them in front of the chair to slowly get him to come out. And then um, I just could see the hurt and pain. Mm. And I thought, of all those kids that get labeled, and really, like you guys have said, it's, it's the energy being brought to them because they don't know any different. So the first six months were bittersweet. They were a struggle. They were awesome. Um, one day I was leaving for work, and the boys were watching TV together, and... I said, bye, guys, I'll see you later. And Colby, our second oldest, said, bye, Mom. And then he kind of hit Kyle on the shoulder and said, say goodbye to Mom. And Kyle said, bye, Mom. And that was the first time he called me Mom. And so I sat in my car and cried. And then I phoned my husband, Mark, and I said, did you hear what he just called me? (laughs) And from then on, it was just such a beautiful, natural thing to happen. Um, It was really organic because I, I was really aware that his other mom's had not been ideal. And then not too long ago, um, this guy plays hockey, and we are in the emergency room, um, and we were laying waiting for his hand to be x-rayed. And he just said, thanks, Mom. And I said, of course, I'm supposed to take care of you. I'm your mom. And he said, no, I mean, thank you, because I don't know where I'd be if you guys hadn't taken me in. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, wow, for an 18-year-old to say that to their parent in any circumstances, I mean, he's he's just a very incredible guy well and i probably should have started with that kyle's an 18 year old man seems i just met him but seems like he's on the right path um and what's weird about parenting is even in the best of circumstances like we've been blessed to have three children of our own and it's really really hard and none of this what some might consider irreversible damage which obviously isn't true in kyle's uh situation but um you had to, I assume, Carolyn, peel back the onion and, and kind of, without doing anything, you needed to just probably give him space to be who he was and you needed a role model. We talk about role modeling, the examples that we want to have in children. Um, so during those first few years, I mean, you know, this blessing and a struggle and all that, like how long did it take where you felt like, all right, this is this is good? I would say it was, it was about six months. Um, we were referred to a book called When Love is Not Enough, and I can't recall the author's name, but 
um, they give you really good techniques um, for kids that have been traumatized in order to get them to bond with you and feel safe and secure. Um, so about six months, and then um, it was funny. I mean, we laugh about the stories now, but some of the challenges um, Kyle would pull, we, we got him in the wintertime, um, and he would pull his his hat over his head and sit in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> and I would think, okay, what do I do now? People are probably looking at me leaving this child in the middle of the parking lot. But I couldn't give him too much attention because it was definitely, um, he was testing us to see how much we'd let him get away with. But also I couldn't feed into that type of energy where it was extremely controlling. But I understood what he was trying to do. You know, they they act out in ways um, to see how much you'll put up with. And I just kept saying, you're not going anywhere. So you can sit in the freezing cold with a hat over your head and I'll stand here and wait for you. But I'm not gonna pick you up and put you in the car. So I would just divert the traffic. Like, I have a child sitting in the parking lot, keep going. Be careful. Yeah, be careful. And you know, that's the thing, like going back to the behavior, what adults were saying and you know, what you were doing, Kyle, is that's the thing is like now it's often hindsight, but we can shift and be like, that's what's the cry for help. And when children are acting out, a lot of times we're so quick to discipline and to make them wrong and to change their behavior. So we're more comfortable with what's happening. But very often in this situation specifically, it was saying there is n- I have no voice so here's what I can do to to you know to cry out and you know for a 5 year old to not even have that you know that capability those words that language that communication or the person who do I tell when my parents are the people who are harming me so Kyle you get there and obviously we're hearing from your mom some of these stories but when did you know you were in a safe place when did you know this is my home now um you know, a couple months after I had been in their house. Pardon the interruption, folks. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I want to tell you about our three amazing partners. Are you looking to keep your family in alignment and healthy? Are you ready to consider chiropractic care as a natural way to solve your health problems? Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care has kept our whole family moving on all cylinders for over five years now. She's dedicated to helping families reach their health care goals naturally. Mention ZPR for $20 off your initial exam and get ready to get your power cranked on. You can learn more by going to chirotree.com. Hey moms, want to get healthy without the body shaming and the diets that don't work? Then check out our friends at Healthy Habits Happy Moms. They have a 12-month journey designed with the real mom in mind. It's specific to the busy moms who want healthy bodies, sound minds, and permanent lasting freedom. Their message, their energy are in complete alignment of what Kathy and I discuss on this podcast. To find out more, go to healthyhabitshappymoms.com slash zen. Don't forget the zen. And finally, do you have a house project coming up? Avid Painting and Remodeling is your answer. Jeremy Kraft is the owner and is a good friend. He has the two most important qualities you can ever ask for in a contractor, professionalism and trustworthiness. Jeremy has done so many jobs for Kathy and I, we have lost count. So if you have a project coming up, I encourage you to give this bald-headed beauty an opportunity to earn your business by going to avidco.net. Now, on with the show. Um, you know, a couple months after I had been in their house, you know, Colby, I remember uh, Colby had these little rev-up motorcycles that we would uh, 
play, and, and they have heated floors, so we it was during the winter time, like my mom said, and we would just lay on the floor and we would play with his little uh, matchbox cars and play with those little motorcycles, and it was really, uh, you know, Colby who made it the transition easier, and you know it took a while for me to open up to him but it was is I think it was easier opening up to him because you know he's a he's a kid just like me and you know he's not like it's just easier to talk to him easier to be around him you know we were in the same room um and then he was uh I want to say the the gateway to me my in my relationship with the Carolyn and Mark my parents Mm -hmm. so so the fact that Colby was there, obviously your parents are doing their best to shower you with as much love as they can, but you obviously did not do it alone, you know, extended family, community and all that, but it seems like Colby was a pretty significant part of that process. Yes, he was. Well, and he trusted him, you know, when you trust him and you're like, well, I trust you, and if you trust these people, then I'm going to trust these people too. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah, that's great. So what I'm, what I'm most interested in or what I'm thinking of is I have this belief that um, the younger you are the more impressionable things are and you had some really poor role models and I I find it interesting how kind you're being with your language because it would be very easy to demonize the people that were not kind to you so I guess I applaud you for that if that's you know it's hard not to hate somebody who does harm but um, the, the younger you are, the more influence you are on what you see. And for the first five years of your life, Kyle, you saw a lot of negativity. Let's just say that. And, um, and you know, Carolyn, you were uh, quick to say that you, you did this uh, without medication. And, and I'm not a big fan of medicine and I actually criticize on this podcast for talking about, you know, I don't like pills and all that stuff. But... but. I always come in and do this because I'm a therapist, so I work with a lot of people. Sometimes Mm -hmm. medication is necessary depending on the situation, and sometimes the medication is necessary to get them to a place where then eventually they won't need medication. So I always have to balance because Todd has, because of his life experience, has, you know, a a certain way that he looks at it. And then I've worked with people who it's been life-saving. So, well, and I don't want to make this about medicine either, right. but did, did you do, did you have therapy? I mean, that's some pretty significant stuff. Yes. I had uh, a couple of therapists that I uh, talked to and, uh, we still actually go and see one occasionally. Uh, her name's Mary and we've been seeing her for how long? Since you were seven. So about nine years. Yeah. So she, she knows my background uh, pretty well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she tells my mom, you know, with his background, he should be, you know, killing small animals and lighting mm-hmm. fires and stuff, but he's not. And, you know, so that I should just be okay with his typical teenage stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so if he leaves like his shoes at the front door, you're like, all right, right. We can talk this yes. one through. Mary looks at me shaking her head laughing. Are you kidding? Are we talking about Kyle? You should be happy that, you know, he's not texting you and telling you where he is at. Let's not harp on him for that. Right. Okay. Well, your story with the parking lot is interesting because a lot of times on this podcast, we talk about setting boundaries. Like, you know, a lot of people maybe without knowing who we are, they accuse us for 
being permissive parents. And there's a balance that you have to do as far as, you know, holding your children accountable, but allowing them to be who they are and, and having a loose structure and all that. But that parking lot example is a perfect example of that. Like you could have uh, impressed your will upon your son to do what what it is that you wanted him to do in that moment. Or you could have, you know, been spiteful or whatever, but you kind of did what we teach, right? Well, and it's, again, two-part self-awareness. Well, your self-awareness of I know what I'm doing here, I know what my goal is, and it's to help my son feel connected to this family and help him trust me. So you were in that awareness, and then you understood where he was coming from. You know, you understood exactly what he was doing and why. Mm -hmm. And that tends to be the piece that, as parents, we miss. We're very focused on our needs because, like you said, what is everybody else thinking? You know, you're having to direct traffic around him, and we're so concerned about what other adults, how they're perceiving us versus what is going on inside my child right now that would cause you know, what would cause him to sit down and put a hat over his head? Because it may not be typical behavior, but it is, he is doing something to help himself. Mm -hmm. And what he was doing was figuring out what is this, what is this boundary? How much, you know, this is an easy way to say, but how much do they love me? Mm -hmm. Am I really here or are, is this going to be, you know, are they going to give up on me? He's like, I'll, I'll set the standard. Right. So that, and that is an extreme situation. And so again, like Todd said on the show, we talked to parents about, Obviously, take responsibility for the energy you're bringing and then be cognizant and have empathy for what is your child experiencing right now. You may not get it. You know, a lot of parents will say, well, they shouldn't be afraid or they shouldn't be doing that. But you're not five. When you were five, that's how you felt. So we also have to have that memory of our own experiences. At least we may not be feeling exactly what Kyle's feeling, but we get it. So you you had done all that homework and understanding. So it's huge. So um, you showed up with this family when you were five, Kyle, and you're 18 now. So the last 13 years you've been with them. I mean, nothing is ever perfect, but how is, you know, if you can kind of give a description on your childhood, was it normal? Was it abnormal? Like from five on, what, what, what is, what is your take on that? Um, you know, going from one family that didn't really celebrate anything to a family that I uh, did like my first Christmas when I was five. Uh, it was it was amazing, and I asked my mom, uh, "Can we do this again next year?" And she's like, <laughs> "Yeah, we can." And I was That's like, "That's what we do." Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was like, "All right, sweet." And you know, uh, especially having Colby there made it so much easier. And um, you know, we were like two peas in a pod. We would do everything together. Uh, we still do mostly everything together and um and how old is colby colby is 18 months younger than me he is 16 gotcha it goes the same high school you go to barrington yes gotcha and then the same hockey team and how many siblings do you have total uh three i have three so you got if you're okay you got colby and who else yeah uh emily is right under colby she's 11 uh she goes to north barrington elementary school she's in fifth grade and then i have lamar he is seven he is in first grade, goes to North Barrington Elementary School. And Carolyn, you adopted all four of these children? Yes. Did you first foster them? Yes. They all were foster with the intent to adopt. So that was the way we explained to the agency um, how we would do foster care. We would do traditional if it was meant to be, but um, if the kids came free, legally free is the label or the verbiage, um, we would definitely keep them in our home. 
So, Susan, back to you about this, because I think, and this is, I don't agree with this, but I think it's something that happens. When people hear foster care, there's this feeling or thought that it's broken, that foster care doesn't work or it's broken, or it, maybe there's just been so many negative stories around foster care that we don't hear enough positive stories, which is why we're so glad that you're here. So, Susan... Does foster care work? And if it does, tell us how. And when I say work, I mean, people are starting from really, you know, not a lot of information about how well, they do this. Well, today in Illinois, if you, if you, when you go to get your foster care license, there is, you'll receive 27 hours of training. These are children who've been through trauma, uh, abandoned, abused, or neglected, but they're children mm. and they're resilient. That's right. Like, the, the possibilities are endless. The possibilities are endless. Illinois has 16,000 children. It's going to make me cry. Mm-hmm. In foster care, more than 50% of them will never go home. Mm. That's a lot of children that are available for adoption. On any given day, there are 1,000 that are available for adoption. So what happens to those 16,000 children? Well, we do know that 50% of, little more than 50% will never go home. So hopefully they will end up in pre-adoptive homes. Okay. People who have gone to get their foster care license. In Illinois, you have to be a foster parent to a child for six months before you can adopt them. So we hope through shows like this and marketing efforts like this that people who would like to parent will step forward and say, I would like to do this. I'll get my foster care license and please give me a child that you think is most likely not going to go home. Wow. So, and that's how you adopt from foster care. So what does that mean, most likely not going to go home? That means that the kid or the parents say, uh, I want to go back, or the parent's like, I want that kid back? That's what you mean? The parent, when when a child enters foster care, the parent has to earn that child back. The caseworkers are pretty savvy, too. If they've been a caseworker for a while, um, they usually know what what the parents need to do in order to have their child return home. And they're pretty savvy to know what families are going to work out and what families aren't. And especially if it's been a family that's been involved in foster care before. So, um, I mean, they can't promise you anything. Nothing's promised. Um, But they kind of know, hey, this is the case. This child doesn't look like it's going to be able to return home. So... So with that said, you're talking about the caseworkers. Mm-hmm. There are people who work in the foster care system who are pretty amazing people, amazing. right? Amazing. Okay, thank you amazing. for saying amazing. that because I believe that too. A lot of them I went to school with, you know, got my master's with and that kind of thing. So I know a lot, you know, and actually Todd's sister works in the system too. So we get a lot of great information. But again, that's the, it, there's almost like the marketing piece about the inside of foster care and then the marketing piece about the outside of foster care where we have to remember these are, people who are so caring and their focus is children and sometimes the only thing we hear are the bad stories you know absolutely yeah well something's happened to these children and that's why they're here right so uh, i don't know if i'm an, an outlier but it seems like most of the adoption stories that i know with friends or extended family it's always they want to adopt a girl from china and i don't know if it's still like that maybe that i'm dating myself and that doesn't happen as often but it just seems, you know, I'm a very practical person, sometimes to a fault. And the amount of red tape and interviews and money and all these other things is why, why is, first of all, is that, am I correct in that a lot of people just kind of by default, if for whatever reason they don't want to have their own biological children, that they instantly think of adopting internationally and they don't think of domestic? Am I 
Am I correct in thinking that? And if so, why? You're correct. There are three different types of adoption. The first is international adoption, twenty-five to forty thousand dollars. The second is adopt an infant from an agency, twenty-five to forty thousand dollars. The third type of adoption is adoption from foster care. There's no money to be made, and so no one, no one knows about that because there's really no one to push it, which is why they need Let It Be Us and organizations like ours to let people know that there are these children right here available for adoption. It doesn't cost anything. Why don't people do that? Maybe they will now. <laughs> it Hopefully. really, yeah, right. I mean, like. You know, Kyle, I'm going to ask you, and again, this may not be on your radar and you don't, you know, have to say this, but do you speak out about this? Like, do you talk about, obviously you're here on this show, but do you have any thoughts about, you know, we were talking about going to college and, you know, you're considering doing that. Is this going to be part of your life work or how does this impact you and your decision making? Um, I could see it possibly uh, being a I'm part of, well, it, it is part of me already, but to help advocate this um i could see that in the future uh, i know that uh my mom my mom actually in in our church uh we had this little group and she was giving a speech and then she called me up to talk about it mm-hmm. and so i mean i guess i in a way i already am mm-hmm. and so yeah that was my first time and i gave a speech on how you know me as a kid how adoption has affected me and uh being uh a part of a family that does adopt and how it's really a family effort and how it has affected the family as a whole too it really is that's the word it's advocacy you know Mm -hmm. it's advocating for families and letting them know that there's help available because i think um you know a lot of people that i know personally um adoption feels scary to them international adoption, you know, domestic adoption, but they need to know that there's help available. You know, they need to know that there's people who have done this, people like you, Carolyn, who go around and, you know, do you find that you've influenced some families? Um, Yes. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Yes. I um, have two friends who have now adopted out of foster care, which has been incredible. Um, And I will say the foster care system in Illinois and the agencies that we work with, like we have previously said, they're amazing. And if you ask for help, they will try their best to get it to you. So if I needed a referral for a therapist or I didn't know what dentist took the medical card, I would call them and they would say, hey, we got a dentist in Mundelein or a dentist. You know, they just they really work with you because their ultimate goal, if the child can't return home, is to keep the child in a stable family. And they and they don't like these kids bouncing around. And we're at Let It Be Us, we're constantly reviewing these agencies. And there's even the one I found out about recently, or I've known about them, but I didn't know they offered this service. If you work with them and you get your foster care license and you've got a child in your home that you're either going to foster or adopt, they give you 18 hours per month of therapeutic babysitting. That means a counselor wow. comes to your house for 18 hours a month to babysit. Wow. That's amazing. That, they, they, really, they really are there to help you make this work, in addition to the 27 hours of training. 
Right. And when you think about people who are going into this field of work, you know, when they've decided this is going to be our life mission, obviously this has become your life mission, Susan, and it's yours, Carolyn, because you're living it. But, you know, these are people who care. You know, these are people who want to see a change in these children's lives. And what I'm, I mean, I love this show just because I love talking to all three of you, but it's turning that fear into hope. It's changing that story, not changing it, you know, in a manipulative way, but changing it to the truth. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think we're hearing the, the positive experiences as much as, you know, it's lack of access. Well, the other thing I'd like to tell you about adoption from foster care compared to the other two types of adoption, international adoption and adopting a baby from an agency domestically is that adoption from foster care does not discriminate against age, income, marital status, gender, or sexual orientation. All you need to do is want to be a good parent and champion a child. Amazing. Yeah. It doesn't cost anything and anyone can do it. So I don't know if I should say this, but I'm trying to think of like, honestly, why more people don't do this. And whenever I think of international adoption or whatever, there is, um, it is, maybe this isn't fair, but it's definitive. Like I'm going to adopt a baby from China or I'm going to adopt a baby from an agency. Whereas if you adopt from foster care, there's a chance that you are in foster care and then all of a sudden the kid doesn't want to stay with you or the parents want that kid back. And then all of a sudden the carpet gets pulled out from underneath you. Is that maybe one of the, there there is a risk there, although they are identifying those children more and more, the children that won't go home. Got it. They're, they're able to identify them more and more. And what if your mother's in jail? Right. You're not going home. If your mother died from drug over, overdose, which is happening more and more, you're, you're not going home. And you actually said, Susan, I think it was you who said that they're identifying that so early. You said this before, that they are trying, when people are coming in saying they want to adopt, they're matching them up appropriately. Right. You know, they're setting up a situation that can succeed. Right. So what is the average age of a child who's being adopted? Uh, the average age of the child in Illinois right now is eight. Got it. Got it. So what's weird is we had um, we have some experience of some friends with the international and they they go overseas thinking that they know the age the health the sex of the kid and they get there and they realize sometimes it's completely different than what they thought they got so even you know these other vehicles of adopting kids is not as clean cut as maybe some people no pretend and they it paid is. forty thousand dollars and not only that um, just back to your point when you adopt internationally or privately. If the child does have um, some struggles further down the line, you're kind of left on your own to, to take care of that and find some therapy for it. But when you adopt a child out of foster care, you have a huge resource. And you can even go back to your um, worker and say, hey, listen, you know, we didn't know that he had these kind of struggles, and now he's 11 and we're seeing you know, maybe some speech issues, the state will amend your stipend, the child's stipend that they get every month in order to cover for any extra therapies. Mm-hmm. When you adopt internationally or privately, it's on you. These children come with medical insurance and you're also given a stipend of about $500 a month. Wow, and the system is on your side. Absolutely. Gosh. And I remember when we were... Um, our first adoption, and it was taking a while for it to be approved. And I just said, what is holding this up? And they said, "Um, the stipend. And I said, I don't want it. We don't need it. And they said, it's not for you. It's for the hardship that this child has gone through. And and you'll hold out for it because it's his. Mm -hmm. And I just, that has always stuck with me. I love that she said that to me because 
it is. It, it's his, and he needed it. So, and, and also in Illinois right now, they're coming up. They've come up with a new job. You can learn about it on our website. I'm about to write a blog post about it tomorrow. Uh, a professional foster parent. They're going to train you 30-something hours uh, and continually train you. And they want you to take an older child between 12 and 18, but you'll make $18,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And so that's a new thing in Illinois, a new opportunity. And these people who are training have experience with this. Mm-hmm. They know exactly how to get mm-hmm. you through, walk mm-hmm. you through the stages. So if there's somebody's listening right now who's like, I have no idea how to get started. They So I'm going back to you, Susan. You're in Barrington. But what if somebody in, you know, Portland, Oregon mm-hmm. right now is listening and is like, I don't know who to go to. Do you have resources for people? Well, I don't have resources for other states, but we did just develop a new digital tool on our website. So if you live in Dixon, Illinois, you can go to our website and we have a map where you, where you can learn where to get a license by your house. Great. So at least for the state of Illinois, for people who are listening, mm-hmm. there's they can go to, say your website again? Letitbeus.org. Letitbeus.org and at least figure out where to get the information to yes. start. And we've designed that map on Google Maps so any agency in any state can pick that up and move it to their state. Mm-hmm. So great. So um, I feel like you um, are meeting a need in the marketplace for this. And have you, do you know of, are there other people in other states trying to do the same thing you're doing? Or I is this exceptional? I think there's no one who does what we do. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, there's no money to be made at this. Right. How, how do you get your money to do this? Donations. So basically, that it's like you said, it's a non-for-profit. Donations and grants. We're not funded by the state. And are people willing to make those oh, donations? Yeah. Okay. See, this is so great. I love people. Yes, we're being very successful. Okay. So you have a model for other people who want to do this. Yes, we do. Okay. Everything See. we design can be picked up and put in another state. And I assume you'd be willing to share anything that... Of course. Right, right. That's the whole idea. Um, I found this on the website. I didn't know it was going to be... Uh, this was under your About Us on... Um, but it was, it says Carolyn, so I assume that this was hers um, uh, experience. Maybe not. Maybe it was a different Carolyn, so t- tell me if I'm wrong. But it was about the day that the uh, person was adopted. And, it's, and the question that was asked in the questionnaire on the website is, how did it feel? And Carolyn said, when his o- adoption day arrived, we were super excited and nervous. It has to do with the judge. Mm-hmm. Is that you? I think so. Will you tell that? Just what the judge said and and what the judge did. Oh, there's so many because we adopted four out of foster care. We have a couple of great stories, but I don't know if it's this one, Todd. But um, yeah, we were we're always super excited and nervous, and it's incredible. And um, she ushered us into her chambers, and she sat us on a couch, and she told us it was her magic couch, and she took out a magic wand and she waved it over us and said. You're officially now a family. And I just bursted into tears because, of course, we were a family before that. But it was a special, magical moment. Mm -hmm. And just that she understands that. Sometimes we just think about it so dry dry and logistically and it's paperwork. And she understood this is an, an emotional, social issue. This was... A connection issue, and this was for forever. Right, I love her. I, I don't know. even know she her, was but fantastic. I'm her good thug. And then there was another another adoption we did, and we walked into the courtroom, and it was packed. I mean, they had pulled lawyers, and and there were um, um, the staff at the courthouse and deputies, and they said, "It's not often we see something wonderful like this happen." 
And so we all want to be here to celebrate this moment with your family. Oh. And it was just incredible. Oh, my. So you're telling me it was packed for you guys. Yes. <laughs> People we didn't even know. They just they went through the hallways telling everybody we're doing an adoption out of foster care. And they just packed the courtroom. It was awesome. That is the coolest thing I've ever it was heard. Very cool. So I'm totally bouncing around in this interview, but that's fine. <clears throat> this was on your website too, Susan. If children are not adopted and age, and age out of the foster care system, they not only go out into the world alone, but what happens to them next is a spectacular failure. These statistics have been calculated by the University of Chicago. 97% will never attend college. 50%, only 50% will finish high school. 45% of the girls will be pregnant by age 19. Right. And the percentage of boys who end up in the prisons, prison system is extreme and incalculable. Huge. We suspect it's well over 50%. The financial cost to the state is significant, and the social cost to our communities is high, but the emotional cost to the children is unimaginable. Like, if that's not a testimonial for donating money, or if you're interested in fostering or adopting a kid, this is, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, cost to the state like oh it costs x amount of dollars to run the state funded program but if you don't do something like this the cost is a hundredfold kyle's going to college mm. yeah right he will, he will contribute to the gross national product for the rest of his life right yes. and he's the first in his biological family to do so so he has stopped the cycle and the generations that follow him will benefit because mm. he's stopping the cycle that's right He's an example. He's a role model for his family and for everybody else. Now, if he had bounced around in the system and he was placed in home after home and when he gets to be about 12, then they put them in group homes, he would be one of those statistics. Right. And those are the things that we don't understand, meaning that when a lot of people, um, you know, as a social worker, I always struggle with this when people are like, well, why don't people just get a job or why don't people just pull themselves up? And it requires more than just the desire or it requires support. It requires love. It requires emotional connection. It requires things that sometimes we have a hard time putting on paper. And this is why, you know, this, that's what a family is. And when you get adopted, you go to college. Yeah. You have an opportunity to go to college. Yes. And so just like Todd said, you know, this is, it's not, it's about, you guys, and it's about the foster care system here in Illinois, and it's about your organization, Susan, but it's also an opportunity for other people to be this bridge, like in whatever way, if they're thinking about adoption or creating a system like you have. I mean, this is, this could change so many things for so many kids and so many families, because I'm sure you would say, and you would mean this from the deepest part of your heart, your life is a million times better because he's in it. I can't even respond because I'm in tears. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's one of my heroes. To go through what he went the first five years of his life and and to be one of the most caring, most empathetic, genuinely happiest kids I know. It's just, he's a blessing. You were going to say something, Kyle? Um, I mean, it's that, I mean, it's one of those things where like you said, I mean, we both get something out of it. You know, uh, I'm a better person for it, definitely. And, you know, she said she's a better person for it. And, you know, in my uh, sociology class, actually, we just finished up a unit. A unit, And one of the uh, scenarios was if there are three babies, you know, they're all born the same time, you know, and one of them is in... You know, the upper class, one's in the born in the middle class and one's born in the lower class. 
they all have the same potential for success, but the difference is the person in the upper class already has a foot through the door, and life is about knowing people and these connections, and the reason the person in the lower class might stay in the lower class is because they think that's all they were meant to do, it's what their parents have done, and they think that, you know, I can't really do much better than this. And, you know, the person in middle class can really go either way or mm -hmm. stay there. And I think that through foster care and being adopted, it gave me the upper hand and I'm able to break that cycle in my biological family. It's beautiful. You know, it's like you got to become who you are. Mm -hmm because this is who you were born as, but then you were given the opportunity to be that person. Mm -hmm. Because whenever I see children who are really struggling or have been hurt or are crying out for help in their own way, like you were when you were five, that's not who they came in as. That's not the potential. That's not who they really are. That is them in pain. And then as we know, hurt people hurt people. You know, that's, that's the cycle and it's been broken. I'm so glad you were here. It's so great. Um, this is kind of like a catch-all. Is there anything that you guys went into this podcast interview expecting to be able to share something that Kathy or I haven't given you the opportunity to share, whether it's about your experience or yours? or Is there anything that you wanted to make sure that you, you said? Well, I'd like to tell you two things. One is we have these events. We're going to have six of them next year in 2017 where people can come and hear guest speakers like Carolyn and uh, experts like the medical director for DCFS, and they can also meet agencies that have children that need parents now, all ages, babies, toddlers, grade schoolers, high schoolers, all ages. And then the other thing is on our website, we're going to have any day now a heart gallery where you'll have photographs of children available for adoption. Mm. Carolyn? And I just want to say a lot of times when I talk to people, they will say, I could never do what you do because I could never have a child in my home and give them back. And my thought is no one's guaranteed anything. So whether you have your children in your home and, and they're naturally biologically yours or not, it's only for that time. It's only for that present. So um, I take comfort in the fact that the children that we've had in our home that have returned home or gone on to different situations at least the time they were with us, they felt loved and they felt safe. And they and they know what that feels like. How many kids have you had in your home that have gone somewhere? Oh, um, I kinda, I've kind of lost track. But let's just say about a dozen. More than that. We'll Easily just say about a dozen. That. And some come back once or twice. Yes, that is true. That's so interesting. Thank you. The family dynamic, it's funny. We've got three kids. It's always the same faces I'm looking at and all that. I can't imagine growing up in a household or, or running a household where there's new faces that show up and that, that it becomes the new norm. I understand you adjust to that, but Kyle, what is it like? Is it still going on? Are you still doing it? We are. We're doing it through another organization. Um, it's called Safe Families. Mm -hmm. So we did have a little two-and-a-half-year-old girl with us for um, a month. And she was just delightful. <laughs> Kyle, you're laughing. Is it fun to have new kids in your house? Yeah, what's Is that it? like? Because, you know, 
our kids get mad at each other and they've known each other a whole life. I can't imagine, you know, there's obviously blessings, but what's it like with new faces showing up every now and again? Um, well, it's actually, it's quite the experience. Um, some of the, the little girls we get, you know, there's a lot of sass. And, you know, especially with my little sister, Emily, she's the sass queen, you know, and she's begged us for a little sister or someone her age that she could play with because she's the only girl in the house mm-hmm. besides my mom. Mm-hmm. And we got this one girl who was about her age, and the sass with that one... <laughs> it doubled. It did. And Emily was not having it. We were like, well, you're the one who wanted a sister. And she's like, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> now she had to share that space. I yes. know. I know. Well, and that's part of it is, you know, I'm thinking... For, ev- for you know everyone involved in the family you learn how to be with different people right you learn how to you know the only we were just talking on our show yesterday the only thing that's constant is change so if you can learn how to adapt to new people and and be able to get along with many different people even if they're not like you right that's a gift for life well and it's it's had a profound effect on the people around us our neighbors um, our neighbors children who have seen the kids come, some of them have gotten attached to certain children, and they'll ask after them. And, and just to see that kind of work going through, and, and maybe eventually they'll do this, this type of work, too, further down the line. So maybe this is just to satisfy my own curiosity, but a dozen kids, are you fostering them with the intent to adopt any ones that stick around? Yes. So, wow. Until my husband said four and we're done Mm -hmm. so figure out a different way that's what I did (laughs) wow Um, so I'm just in honor of being in the presence of you three people and um, I to you Susan I talk a lot about um, the difference between success and fulfillment and something tells me although you are successful at what you do it's fulfillment is you, you know that's why you're doing it right that's definitely why I'm doing it and it makes your, you know, the more we give, the more we get and all that. It's so. awesome. It's starting, this nonprofit has been like starting a company, except you don't get paid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's, there isn't a company like this. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really fun. How do you sleep at night? I'm hoping you sleep as restful as anybody in the world for doing. It's I close really... my eyes every night. I'm so thankful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because when you see these kids, like, so, you know, recently I photographed a little boy little boy, a big boy, 12. And, and I brought him this big Lego set. I always bring him a present when I go to kind of break the ice. And I always spend a lot of time with them because I'm very, very interested. And, in, and he said, all I want to do is play football. He goes, I just want, a fam-. he lives in a group home. He goes, I want, all I want is a family where I can play football. Mm. So I took his photograph of him with his football. And, you know, then, then you, then I get to go back home, and my job doesn't stop there. Yeah. Then I can keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Put him on the blog, push that blog out on social media, and make that caseworker's phone ring. So, if somebody was inspired by your story, Susan, um, just go to if they wanted to donate money. Obviously, all associations, not for profit, are, they work on donations. So, if they want to do it, just go to letitbeus.org, and there's plenty of mm-hmm. places there. And my big goal in 2017 is to get some type of big corporation to come and be the wind beneath our wings, mm. put their name on that heart gallery. We have lots of options. Yeah. 
Um, and Carolyn, I can't say enough about what it is that you're doing and the lives that you're changing. Like, I'm just honored to be, we are honored to be here with you. And um, Kyle, I do a lot of work with men and you just embody what healthy masculinity looks like. And the fact that you have um, broken a cycle that is really hard to break I mean, I'm just in awe. So thank you. You're welcome. It's thank been you. an honor for us to be here. So thanks for inviting yeah. us. Thank you. All right. Uh, so until next time, everybody, we, uh, I don't know who we'll have, but tough act to follow. <laughs> thanks. So uh, we'll see you guys next time. Adios. Have a good day. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen Parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. (laughs) On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And finally, I want to thank our two amazing partners, Dr. Kelly from the Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Jeremy Kraft, that bald-headed beauty from Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks, and keep on trucking.